Hey, my friend, welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My name is Lori Seitz. I'm an entrepreneur, mentor, founder of Zen Rabbit, and your guide in moving from fine to fantastic. I love inspiring others to listen to their inner voice and encouraging them to take the steps toward fulfilling their soul. Join me here as we navigate through life transformation, moving from that place where you say everything's fine, it's just fine, but you're really feeling a deep undercurrent of suck. How do you move from there to a renewed sense of yourself? You're in the right place for stories and experiences of self-discovery and courage to help you on your journey. And you'll find each episode has an accompanying meditation. Now let's get into it. My guest this week is Andy Overton. Thank you to Don Schuler for this introduction. Upon graduation from a small high school in Nevada, Andy moved sight unseen to Massachusetts for college and has been an East Coast resident since. In this episode, we touch on the importance of eating cake, returning shopping carts, and not honking the horn as soon as the light turns green. We talk about how culture shock opens your eyes and the uncomfortableness of it forces you out of your bubble to see the world in a new way and contribute to it in a bigger and better way. Andy's early career experience as a police officer had her thinking everyone was a dirtbag drug runner, but the intervention and persistence of her good friend Lynette helped her see she was on a dangerous path and gave her a lifeline out. We talk stress, personal responsibility, and finding and maintaining healthfulness. Andy Overton is a higher education professional who likes researching fun topics like virtual reality and the assessment of learning. It's the only way she can work video games into her Doctor of Education dissertation from Frostburg State University. A dedicated advocate for women's empowerment, she most enjoys calling out the BS against disenfranchised people of all walks of life and making friends with the new kids sitting alone. A lover of life, she has rescued many pups and kitties and with the help of her fiance, Stacy, can now add fish to her list of rescues. Because why not? We all deserve a safe spot to call home. Quick reminder, for community and camaraderie, come join us in the Find is a Four-Letter Word Facebook group. Today's episode is sponsored by Zen Rabbit. Here we are at the end of yet another year. How long are you going to tell yourself that being fine is good enough? The phrase, life is short, is not simply a platitude. Look at how much time's gone by already when you weren't paying attention. Do you want to spend the next 20 years the same way you've spent the last 20? And if your answer is no, what will you do differently? I'm inviting you to take action. Set up a complimentary chat with me to get some clarity around your values and direction and a strategy to put you on the right path. At the time I'm recording this, there are still a few times open for this year. No obligation, no pressure, just an insightful conversation. Commit to making 2022 the best year yet. Go to the Fuck Being Fine page on zenrabbit.com to schedule. Hello and welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My guest today is Andy Overton and I am Super excited to have you here, Andy. Welcome. 
thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, let's get right into it with my first question of what is what were the values and beliefs that were instilled in you as you were growing up that carried through to your young adulthood? Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, <laughs> that's really funny. Um, my mother would tell you such a different story, but uh, it's really uh, leaving your place a little bit better than you found it. In other words, giving way more back than you have ever taken. It's almost that Boy Scout, Girl Scout creed. Um, it's, it's the idea of not just picking up your trash, but helping someone out, opening a door, being kind to people. Uh, just do a little bit extra so that the world's a better place. And I have carried that throughout my entire life. And in fact, I will tell you, Lori, that uh, in my Rotarian um, club, right, I'm a Rotarian, uh, they ask you to introduce yourself. And one of the things I have always said is, you know, I am the kind of person that brings back their shopping cart, that holds the door open, and I will never beep at, at you if you are at a red light and it turns green. I'll just wait. I'm fine. You do you. Something's happening. And I just think that you got to leave the world a little bit better place than you found it. Is that because you're not originally from the East Coast that you'll just sit and wait? Because, <laughs> you know, East Coasters were like, go, light's green, go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? That's entirely possible. That could be a complete cultural reference to, to the West Coast. I'm from Nevada. Uh, but, you know, we'll just chill. That's fine. It's good. You know, I feel like you'll go when you need to go. And if i got to go around you, i go around you. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Yes. East Coast thing. I get beeped out all the time. And I'm okay with that, too. All right. Yeah. We're, we're uh, sometimes a little impatient out here. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. But I love that you have that that spirit of generosity and giving and and I do return my shopping cart as well so we're not we're not all heathens perfect yeah that's right that's right I mean don't leave it in the middle of the parking lot that's all I'm saying give it give it back to somebody who can use it that's right 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 so how did that it's the little how did that serve you or were um as you grew up I so I know before our um when we talked before this call you were telling me uh -huh. the story about how you actually came to leave Nevada and end up on the East Coast. Share some of that. Yeah, sure, sure. And listen, as a true Nevadan, I have to tell you that our state's name is Nevada. Nevada. Uh, and it's, it's, a hard, it's a hard thing to learn. And it's okay if you say it any other way, but I am like by decree, by Nevada decree, I have to correct Thank you. Thank you. So. I appreciate that. It's the same with Oregon. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's Oregon. It's not gone, right? right? It's still there. Uh, yeah, so I ended up on the East Coast because, you know, I was going through a, a, a whole bunch of college fairs, right? Uh, and I land at a college fair in Reno, Nevada on like the last day. Uh, and I walk up to this uh, all-women's college called Mount Holyoke College. And I said, do you have psychology and can I play softball? Uh, she said yes to both. And I'm like, I'm in. And so totally want to go to this, this college. And my mom's like, yeah, great. And then figured out that it was 2,500 miles across the U.S. and Massachusetts. Um, and she fought me. She's like, how about like California? How about Oregon? And I was like, no, man, I'm good. I'm going to go all the way across the, the, the way here. And so my mother, who is a hardworking single mom, didn't have enough money to send me there uh, more than once. So I got a plane ticket. It was one way. Uh, and it was the cheapest ticket, which, as you know, in 1993, maybe, that's the red eye. Mm. So I boarded a plane. This is long before 9-11. This is long before we had all these um, regulations at an airport. Uh, so, like, my entire high school class, now, granted, that was, like, 26 people. Like, I come from a very small school. Uh, but, like, the captain of the football team, my best friends, we all went to the airport 
uh, and they saw me off, right? Um, you know, from the airplane. Now, my mother did not know if I made it to Boston, got on a van with a guy that said Overton, and I got in this guy's van. I know it's sketchy already, right? <laughs> right. Um, I fell asleep because I was Was he Boston. offering you candy? He wasn't, thank goodness. I probably would have taken it. I was starving, right? Because <laughs> right. I was nervous to leave. I didn't eat anything all night. I fly to Boston. It's like six o'clock in the morning. I've never been to the city, the state. This guy's holding my name up. I'm like, you must be my dude. I hop in this guy's van. It is like the windowless van that my mother has warned me about for 18 years of my life. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Let's go to college. Right. Awesome. Good job, mom. Totally great parenting skills. Um, and so I hop in this van and I, and he, I fall asleep cause I'm exhausted. And I, it's like, I literally landed, found this dude, fell asleep in the van and woke up at college. 90 minutes later, I woke up in the back seat and he's like, you're here, get out. Now understand this is before cell phones. Right. I hadn't called my mom. I didn't call her when I got off the plane. She had no idea if I was even alive, but I was doing my thing. And finally, after I get moved into my dorm, I get the two suitcases from, from the airport, I finally find a phone and I call her and she said, I'm so happy to hear from you. Tell me all about it. We chat for about a half an hour. Now, what I didn't know until years later when she hung up the phone, Lori, she was in tears. She was just in buckets because she was so relieved that I was, I don't know, alive. Right. But she didn't want to tell that to me over the phone. She just wanted me to be excited. She was up all night thinking, that's it. I put my daughter on a plane. She's in some weird guy's van, all of which was true. She was not wrong. Um, I just, you know, obviously didn't die from the experience. I made it to college. Um, and I haven't left the East Coast since. And that was September of 1993. Yeah. Parenting was so different back then. My mom put me on a plane oh, to right? a semester abroad in Copenhagen, uh, 1987. And it was the same thing. Like, did she get there? You know, it was a it was several yeah. days later, I think, when we finally talked. And she did the same thing when we hung up from that call. She was in tears, partly because I was in tears because the culture shock was so intense oh, sure. that I was like, oh, I think oh, I sure. made a mistake. And so she was feeling my anxiety. And then she, yeah, so same thing. They, they started crying. But, you know, they still put us on those planes and sent us. It's as if they said, you know, I've done all I can for you. Yeah. I've given you all the tools that you need to, to be successful now. Go off and be successful. And I bet you the minute I got on the plane and the plane doors closed, she was probably saying, what have I done? Yeah. Like, oh my goodness, I should have went with her. There's got to be a way. Maybe I should start driving right now. I know those thoughts went through her head. And that's what moms do, right? They worry. And um, that's just what I'm saying. And we turned out okay. So it was good decisions on their part. I feel like I'm on a good path. Yeah. yeah. I feel like they prepared me adequately. I mean, I did get into a sketchy guy's van. That was probably number one I shouldn't have done. But it was really for me. So it ended up being Yes. Fine. Yes. It, it, was, it was all fine. So... <laughs> It was all fun. <laughs> How was that experience? Because uh, Boston, very different from Nevada. Thank you. That's very good. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Boston was, but I have to tell you, I was 90 miles west of Boston. So I wasn't even in the city. I went to Mount Holyoke, which is a small liberal arts college in the western part of the state. Uh, complete culture shock. Talk about yeah. culture shock. There's seasons there. Do you know that leaves fall on the East Coast and they change colors? I'm from the West Coast where there's either a little bit of sagebrush and tumbleweeds or a lot of sagebrush and tumbleweeds. Um, it's all desert all the time. We've got some pine trees, but nothing like, you know, sheds their leaves in the middle of October. Um, you know, I'm used to it snowing in July. I'm used to it being hot in the middle of January. There's actual seasons here. And oddly enough, that blew my mind. I was like, this is what I've been reading about in like books, you know, for the, for the past 13 years since I could read. 
Um, and so, and again, everybody's a little bit faster, right? I come from a small buggy town that, you know, there's one stoplight and, you know, you just kind of go around people. I, I know everyone in my town and all of a sudden I was listening to different accents and I was experiencing different cultures and diversity. And while neat, my eyes were open. Yeah. Uh, and I was in a small liberal arts college. I didn't even have a skyscraper um, near me, but everything was new. It was like I was a newborn child coming out to the East Coast. Wild. It's so interesting that you had that experience and my experience in Copenhagen similar because it opened uh-huh. our eyes to different cultures, different types of people, different experiences, just diversity in great quantities. And I feel like so many people, especially in our country, and even to this day, could use an experience like that to help them realize that we we are all, there's so much different differentiation and also the commonalities. Oh, 100%. And you don't have to go to college to figure that no. out. There's opportunity to just engross yourself in something other than what you're used to everywhere. Um, and, and it was so exciting for me because I just really thought, oh my goodness, um, here are things that I've never heard about before. There are people who didn't have driver's license because I took the subway ever that, where they went and that blew my mind. I was like, how do you not have a license? I mean, wh- how do you get around? And they're like, there's a subway, there's a bus. Like, what do you, we don't have cars. They're from New York, they're from Boston. And I'm from this little tiny town going, I don't get yeah. it. Um, and they're looking at me the same way. They're like, why would you get a license? Oh, you live how far away? Your, your closest neighbor is what? Um, so I, I think that was mutual with all the people I met too. So I was educating as much as they were educating me. Yeah, yeah, cool. What, um, what was the most profound thing you learned when you were in that environment? I learned that, and I know this is going to sound campy, but you can't grow unless you get out of your comfort zone. I would have never had the same mindset, the same ability to learn and understand and um, get out of my own way if I had not experienced a little bit of uncomfortableness because I said the wrong thing, because I didn't understand. And that's how you get out of that growth. Um, or That's how you grow is to get out of that circle. So I think the most important thing that I learned is that this world is not about me. It is bigger than me. It is bigger than my experiences. And if I'm going to live in it, there's a better way to walk through life than just only um, thinking about how you are affecting every everything around you. Um, people affect you. You have a you have a way to to understand this world that is outside your own um, knowing and belonging. And I learned that in the first six months of being on the East Coast. Mm. Do you would mm-hmm. you take it as far as to say that we have a responsibility to do that? I mean. Uh, <laughs> I think so, sure, but then again, if you don't want to, no one's going to force you sure. to. Um, and if if you want if you want to live in that smaller world, okay, fine, but you're missing out on so much. Why would you close that door on the opportunity to learn about differing things? It's so exciting. I'd never eaten curry before I went to college, and and I and I keep referring to college, but it was my way of getting out of my bubble to experience something that wasn't meat and potatoes. Yeah. And I mean that literally and figuratively, you know? Um, And so I I just think that you're closing yourself off to so much. And if that's the way that you want to live in your life, so be it. But I find that, I find that very small. And I think that we are bigger and and badder human beings um, that can really do great things for ourselves and the world if we step out of that circle. Yeah, completely agree. Now let's, so let's move away from college. What happened? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't need to stay back in 1993 um, because I mean it was a good year, but I hear yeah, that. but but because you have a really amazing story from your career 
that the career that yeah. you chose yeah, to go yeah. into, you ended up, um, I'm not yeah. quite sure how you ended up in Maryland, but yeah. you did. And you started a career in law enforcement. I did, actually. I ended up um, at a graduate program at American University, which is in My DC, alma mater. Uh, D.C. Oh, yeah. Very go Eagles. So uh, D.C. is very expensive to live in. And when you're a poor grad student, you find a basement in someone's townhouse that they're renting in Maryland. Mm -hmm. And this is how I become uh, a Maryland resident. Uh, so that's how I ended up here. And I decided um, my graduate program was in criminal justice. It's called Justice, Law and Society at American University. Uh, it's the theory of criminology as it applies to law and society as a whole. So super interesting. And my goal from the minute I graduated high school was to go to the FBI. I wanted to be a behavioral analyst. And I applied uh, when I was graduating um, from uh, my graduate program. I applied to the FBI, to the ATF. I wanted to be federal law enforcement. And all of them laughed at me because the two questions they asked me was, um, do you speak Farsi at the time or are you an accounting major? And I said no to both. And they were like, go find some law enforcement experience and come back to us in a few years. We have no use for the great talents that you have. A, a polite way of saying we're not looking for the skills that you have. We need other skills. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I can do that. So I became a police officer with the Montgomery County um, Police Department. Um, and I thought, um, you know, this will be my way also to serve my community in a way that I thought admirable. And um, it was my stepping stone to a federal law enforcement career. But the more I got into it, what I realized was if, if you really want to affect change in your community and you're interested in law enforcement, being a local cop is a great way to do that. Because while working on super big federal cases would be really fun, you get an opportunity as a local cop to learn about the shopkeeper down the street and the school up the road. And I really like that. And I determined about, um, about a year into my career in law enforcement that I was good. I wanted to stay kind of where I was. Um, and I had no interest in reapplying to the federal agencies for then, for then, um, and that I really liked the people that I met and the change that I was making. Um, so, so what I did was, as I, I threw myself into this career, and I mean throw myself into, into this career, I signed up for the hardest districts, the ones with, that needed the most help, uh, that needed enforcement in a way that kept the good people safe and the bad people in jail. And I worked really hard and I worked really long hours. Now I learned a lot, right? Talk about learning about the world um, as it pertains to you and that you that you are not the center of the universe. There were so many differing experiences and people in different places in their lives. Um, and at 25 years old, I would have to walk in someplace and counsel two 50 year old people arguing in their marriage. I had never been married, I had no kids and I had to figure out a way so that they wouldn't kill each other that night. Wow. And as a 25 year old kid, that's a big responsibility. Talk about learning about things outside of your own circle. Well, that happened fast. Sure. But, you know, yeah. So as we talked about, um, I worked really hard and um, I went to court during the day because you have to obviously try the cases that you arrest the bad people for. And I realized quite early in my career, I was a complete burnout. Um, and it took me a long time to say that because it feels like failure and it wasn't. Mm. Um, right. But I realized very quickly that to me, Everybody was a dirtbag. Everybody had something up their sleeve. Everybody wanted to either try and kill me, somebody else, or were doing horrific things. And sometimes you just blow a stop sign because you're not paying attention. Sometimes you hit the gas pedal a little too much. And sometimes you fender bender and bump into somebody else. It doesn't mean that you're running drugs to El Salvador. Um, and so very quickly I realized that I was burning out fast. I was really being not the kind of cop that I should be. Um, and I was angry at a lot of different things from the stuff that I saw and had to deal with. Um, and so I decided that I would try and make it better by switching stations. 
I went to a station in a district that was far um, less involved in uh, criminal activity. It was just a slower place. It was, uh, we can talk about the socioeconomics of that at a later date. But I was, was going to say Montgomery County for people who are listening because people listen from all over the world is very, um, oh, great. Yeah. D- d- there's a big disparity between uh, in socioeconomic. Some places are, are very, very wealthy and some are not. Right. Right. Um, and I went to a very wealthy area, um, and um, it was too slow for me. Uh, there wasn't enough crime, <laughs> plain and simple. And I knew right there that I was looking for people to do bad things because I was bored. That seemed very selfish to me. Um, and so I just, I realized very quickly I was burning out fast, um, and I was making stupid traffic stops, and I was saying stupid things when people would get under my skin. And people's freedoms and lives were in my hands. Um, and I and I look back, Lori, and I really think I'm so happy that I didn't make a really poor decision. Uh, excuses or not, reason or not, I'm really glad I didn't make a poor decision. And one day, a friend of mine who worked in higher education said, you know what, you should come and work at this college. And I was like, yeah, no thank you, okay? <laughs> I cannot deal with all these kids running around, kids, I'm 25 years old, all these kids running around acting like school is the only thing for them, right? Right, and there's not enough drama there for you. Yeah, what am I going to do? Bus parties because they have a red solo cup? No, thanks. And my friend said, no, it's an admissions. It's an enrollment. You talk to families about their kids going back to school. And I said, no, thank you. Um, and she's like, you seem really unhappy with what you're doing. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm fine. Uh, she's like, no, you seem really. I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm to- That's it. Exactly. I'm totally fine. All right. Can you not see that I'm fine? Um, and she kept telling me, you're so not fine. And you let me know when you come to that conclusion that, that I just did. She must have asked me three times. And I think on the third or fourth time, she said, you know, this position is not going to be open forever. We're hiring people. This is your last shot. Um, And I was so exhausted. Uh, I'd been to court all week. I had had some really tough calls that I kept thinking about. And if you keep going back to the victims that you couldn't Mm. help and they keep replaying those things in your mind, that's post-traumatic stress disorder, right? That is um, trauma. And I wasn't getting over it. And um, I wasn't going to therapy. And I wasn't talking about it. So I finally said, you know what? You're right. Um, I don't want to hurt somebody or myself or anyone else. And I literally left the profession. Um, And I started working in a higher education um, uh, uh, college, basically. And I just feel so darn lucky that this, my friend, who we're still very close, was like, you're not okay. Mm -hmm. I can't force you to leave your your career. You are not okay. And I'm only going to ask this a third time. (laughs) She didn't have to ask a second time. Um, and she said, you know, this is an opportunity for you. And what she really did tell me was, you know, no one's going to make you work on Christmas and no one's going to usually fight you or try and kill you on a daily basis. Just consider it. Yeah. Uh, and thank goodness I did. And I've been in that, that profession, uh, for the past 10, 15 years. I think the lesson here for, there's so much to cover in this topic, but what places I want to go, but right, right in this moment, what I want to bring out is the idea that sometimes it listening to outsiders who have an that outside perspective to see what you can't see because you're so in the weeds and taking counsel from those people and saying hey wait maybe they they, they maybe they have a valid point right and and thank goodness for a friend who kind of called me on my bullshit right and said you know she didn't ask once and we're good friends she kept at mm-hmm. me 
Um, and she finally gave me an ultimatum, right? Because if she just would have kept asking me, I think I would have just kept blowing her off. But she's like, this is it. I'm not doing this again. There won't be another position. You know, shit or get off the pot. So um, I, thank goodness I had a support group of friends that could see through my crap mm-hmm. um, and throw me a lifeline. Now, ultimately, it was my decision to make the Of move. course. And it always comes down to personal responsibility for making our own that- decisions. That's exactly right. And I I took the lifeline and pulled myself out. And looking back, I realized I was in a really dark place, man. Um, and, you know, I, um, I'm so happy for the experience that I had. I did a lot of great things. I helped a lot of people. Uh, but it was really brutal for me. And this isn't a reflection on it. I'm not talking about law enforcement or any other cop out there. This is just my personal experience right. with the manner in which I um, uh, reacted to the things that I saw and did. Um, and so... Thank goodness for my support group. Um, and I had other friends who were like, yeah, man, you were really miserable. And I'm like, well, my friend Lynette is the only one who actually said anything. So where were you? And they're like, listen, man, you're a pretty strong personality. It's hard to tell you anything. And I'm like, yeah, it's fair. <laughs> totally fair. Right. It is. It's really hard for someone to sit me down and go, um, we need to talk about what you're doing. That doesn't happen often. Right. But it's good. Right. Sometimes friends can do that. And sometimes friends are, they don't have the capacity to handle things. And that's when, you know, professionals need to get in, get involved, you know, go to counseling therapy, whatever it is. Like, again, there's no shame in getting help. And, um, right. So I'm curious actually though, did you do that as well? Because you, you mentioned having post-traumatic stress. You know, I, I have formally and I have informally. Um, it's really nice to go to someone who is a professional and you can kind of spill all the beans. Um, and the one thing I, I've been to, I've been to a therapist more than once, but the one thing that I really, really liked about what I did was somebody sat me down and said, um, I'm really glad you got this out and I'm really glad you talked about it. What you do with the information is up to you from here on out, but you just sound um, like you just um, brought all this stuff off your shoulders. I, I like my shoulders dropped. I started smiling more when I started talking about it. And then I have really great friends who helped me through um, sometimes that I kind of go back to that dark spot. I'm not in therapy now. I'm not seeing a therapist now. And that's okay because I know that I can if I need mm-hmm. to. Right. Um, but I have a lot of really great tools that I can start uh, using if my life gets a little too, I don't know, overwhelming, stressful. Huh. Right. Right. Because yeah, without a doubt. Because everybody has stress. It's not a competition. Like somebody doesn't have to say, oh, I have <laughs> the stress that you had when you were in law enforcement. Uh, and so mine's not as bad as that. So I, I'm okay. Like it's not, <laughs> there, there are, yeah, it's not a race. It's not pie. It's not like I have more stress than you. So I get more therapy. No, I mean, you could have this much compared to me or I could have this much compared to you. It's how we react to that and what we have to do to continue to live a positive, happy, outgoing life. Right. Whatever that means. That means to you. Yeah. Agreed. Exactly. Because being stuck at fine, as we have talked about many times on this show is not the way to go through life. So no, yeah, no, you got to break out of that circle. You mentioned having tools that you use. Are there, do yeah. you have like a morning routine? Are there things that you do on a regular basis to keep yourself in a good headspace? Yeah. So there's three things that I have to do. And if one starts sleep slipping, then I go, Oh, I get it. Um, I have to actually eat decently. Mm. Um, I'm not saying you got to be on a diet or some weird healthy regimen of eating, but I got to stop eating like like quickly and crap, right? Um, Two, I have to expend energy, whether that's working out in the gym, whether that's playing a quick softball game, whether it's helping my friend's kids play soccer, I have to get out that 
um, that energy that I have. Um, and the third thing is sleep for me. Um, so, um, not just, not just getting enough hours, but getting that rest that I wake up and go, okay, because it lets me dump my brain. So the way that my sponge fills up very quickly, and if I wake up in the morning and I still don't have the capacity to learn, to analyze, to figure out problems, then I know that one of those three things are out of whack. And I start thinking back to my, you know, what I've been doing for the past week. I'm like, well, I've been eating like complete shit. I can't eat pizza every night. It doesn't fuel me. And I've been sleeping very restlessly. I need to... I need to dump this brain. So those are my checking points. And so what I just try and do is start to scale. Once I understand it, I'm like, all right, I can deal with this. Um, and then I can start making a little, uh, some plans for the next couple of days if I have to um, and start tweaking those. And I feel so much better because then I, I feel righted again. My world is back where it should be. That is such great advice for everybody. Those three key components are key components. And so many people don't necessarily have the, mm, I don't know, is it self-awareness? They're just not paying attention to how uh -huh. important those things are, but they are important for every individual. Every human needs to eat yep. healthfully, move on a regular basis, and get enough sleep. It's just biologically what we need to do. And people try to say, well, I don't need as much, I don't need that much sleep, or I'm, I'm fine sitting at a desk for 23 hours a day like you're not <laughs> yeah and i think it's a it's a you're not actually you know we are human and we are made to move as much as possible um and i i do believe that but i also think it's a bit of a continuum like you know if you it doesn't mean that you can't go out with your friends and have a slice of pizza it's not what i'm saying yes what i'm saying is you got to balance that out in a way that you can absorb some of that crappy food even if it makes you happy for a little bit or if you're having a really couple uh, really busy days where you can't get out and do the things that you would normally do, so sit on the floor and stretch stretch out a little bit. Um, you know, I don't know, just stand up and walk around. Go for a walk around the block, up and down the apartment stairs, whatever it may be. And also, even though these are three things that are important to me, maybe for someone else, it's you know you got to drink 12 ounces of water. You've got to maybe not drink so many uh, cups of coffee. I don't know what that is, but find your three pieces at least that center you and be able to look back and see where, where they're out of whack and then fix it. Um, only you can fix that. You know, somebody can't tell me, can't, they can't force me to eat better. I have to do that. It, yeah. Um, and I know that I feel better when I exactly. do it. I mean, we're coming back again to this whole theory of personal responsibility for yeah. making sure that what you're doing is fueling yourself. And I don't mean fueling just in the nutritional way. It's, Right. right. Mental, spiritual fueling all the way around. Right. Yeah. 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 Find your containers, find what fuel you need and pay attention to it. Um, and I think it goes back to the very beginning when I said that sometimes fueling those containers means that you got to step outside your circle to grow. It means you got to get a little uncomfortable. Do I want to eat a salad every night? No, I want to eat pizza and drink a beer. Um, but I also know that I should probably eat a salad every night. And while uncomfortable, it makes me feel better in the end. I also know that I don't want to go to the gym for 45 minutes and do crunches because I know it's going to hurt. But I do it because, because I have to get outside of that comfort zone and grow. And the only way to grow is to sometimes you got to be a little uncomfortable. Yes. And future Andy thanks you when you do go to the gym or eat healthfully, and I'm totally on board with you, the eating healthfully thing does not mean you don't get to have a brownie or a cupcake yeah. or some pizza and whatever it is, that's all part of enjoying life. And sure, 
Sure. Right. Without a doubt. And in, in, in moderation. I'm completely yeah. in agreement. Not everybody is as uh, as crazy as I am. So I, I haven't actually said this on my podcast, but I have said it some other places. But uh, I've been tracking my macros on the, the yeah. MyFitnessPal app. I'm on day 617 today as we record this. <gasps> 617. Holy cow. Consistent. So that takes you all the way back to February of 2020. Uh, yeah, I'm just, wow. not everybody is as crazy about it as I am, but it, it helps me to see where, how to stay on track. And, and I get, you know, some people might consider that obsessive. That's fine. Again, it works for me. Right. So do it in your own way, whatever that means for you. I know, I know that when I don't eat a bunch of grease, I feel better. So how about I feel better this weekend and don't eat a bunch of grease? I don't have to track all my macros. I already know those. Uh, but do what is good for you. Your body is a temple and you are a beautiful, wonderful person. Treat yourself accordingly. Yeah. Um, and and I, I just think that's that's that should be a theory. And I have to tell you, my, my one theme in life is um, eat the cake and turn left. Uh, eat the cake means, you know, just because you're eating healthily and, and if you can and you go to a birthday party, take the slice of cake and eat it, right? Eat the cake and turn left. Turn left means you don't always have to get from one place to another in a straight line. Hang a left turn and go see what's outside of your normal path. Um, and those are the two things I say all the time. Eat the cake and turn left. Go see what's out there. Fantastic. All right. You mentioned movement. So before we go, I need to know what is the song yeah. that you crank up when you need to increase your enthusiasm, charge up your energy, get moving? What's your song? So it's going to be really weird. It's not the hype song you think it is, but it's closer to fine from the Indigo Girls. And it's because it was, here I go back to college again, but I can remember first listening to this awesome folk group. It brings a smile to my face. I think of nothing but positivity. And the first paragraph, the first set of lyrics is like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to be closer to fine. Everything's going to be all right. Uh, and you're going to help me get there. And I, I love that song. It just, it, it pumps me up. Is it like a barn burner? No, but it makes me feel like um, I can do the things that I need to accomplish. That is perfect. And lastly, if somebody wanted to continue yeah. a conversation with you, where can they find you? You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook. I'm Andy Overton. Um, uh, you can find me on all those places. I actually... Oddly enough, I ran for mayor of my small town. I actually have a website, but it's still old. But you can find me there at andyoverton.com. I'll have to now update it because this is going to go out to all your followers. Um, you can find me on social media. And you can find me in Baltimore teaching people about how to get into graduate school uh, at the college that I work at. So you can find me all over the city. Beautiful. We'll put a link to those, those social medias and your website in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining yeah, me today, too. Andy, on Fine is a Four-Letter Word. Thank you, Lori. Appreciate it. So I got schooled on how to say Nevada. Won't make that mistake again. I was fascinated by Andy's sense of adventure of moving across the country, not knowing anyone at 18. But more than an adventure, it was listening to her inner voice, telling her this was the thing to do, the right place for her. And let's give a moment of recognition and gratitude for our moms who put us on the planes in support of us following our paths, even though they were scared to do it. Now on to the key takeaways. Number one, one of the themes running through this episode is taking responsibility for yourself, for your actions. Return your damn shopping cart. Another is take the opportunity to immerse yourself in different cultures. That doesn't require moving across the country 
or the Atlantic Ocean like Andy and I did. It doesn't even require going to college, but it does require being open to getting out of your comfort zone. There is a big, giant world out there. Seek to understand the world and cultures outside your own knowing and belonging. Number two, it's so interesting, and I see this all the time, when you get so stuck in your own world, inside yourself, that you can't see a way out. You can't see the potential. And then an outsider, a friend or a coach, comes along and offers you a lifeline, opens your eyes to an entirely different perspective. Now, not everyone's going to know what's right for you. Only you know that. But listening to someone who's telling you what they see and considering the possibility that they're throwing you a lifeline can be a game changer. Number three, talking about dark and stressful experiences and feelings is what starts the process of leading you out of them. Whether you're talking to a professional or not doesn't matter as much as the fact that you're talking about it at all. If you're pushing people away or struggling to push disturbing thoughts from your head and telling yourself you're fine, you're not fine. Andy said it, others on this show have said it, and I'm going to keep saying it. There's no shame in getting help. Number four, for Andy, staying in a healthy place mentally, physically, and psychologically involves eating healthfully, expending energy, as in getting some physical activity, and sleeping. Pretty much everyone can start with those three basics and see tremendous improvement. If even one is out of balance, it affects every other aspect of your life. As we approach the new year, everyone's thinking about implementing new habits. You don't need to go overboard. Just start with the basics. What are the three basics that work for you? And number five, I love Andy's life theme of eat the cake and turn left. Eat a slice of cake at the birthday party. Do the things that bring you joy. And when you have the chance, take the windy, less traveled road and see what's down that way. Thanks for being here and subscribing to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. Please share this show with a friend. If you're feeling especially generous, leave a review so other women like you can discover the show too. It's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and all the major podcast directories. And I'd love to hear what's happening in your world. Join me on social. On Instagram, it's zen underscore rabbit. You can find links to the other platforms at zenrabbit.com. Before you go, remember to take a moment to think about what you're grateful for today. And lastly, you can find this week's meditation queued up right after this episode. Or maybe it's just before, depending on where you're listening. Look for it. You'll find it because you always find exactly what you're looking for. Remember that.